0: You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR 102.7 in Melbourne.
1: My next guests join us in the studio to talk about the long-running Gertrude Street Projection Festival, uh, which is now into its 12th year and will be kind of illuminating Gertrude Street uh, in Fitzroy and its surrounds from the 26th of July until the 3rd of August. I'm joined by Bianca Bowman, who's the CEO of the festival and from the Centre for Projection Art, uh, and creative producer Molly Braddon. Welcome to you both.
2: Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us.
1: Very great pleasure. So, look, I guess, Bianca, is a starting question for you. When the Gertrude Street Projection Festival started, projection art was a relatively static medium, uh, a lot of still images being projected. Over the last 10, 12 years, the art form has evolved. Projections have become uh, incredibly dynamic and visual and, uh, and, and complex and projection art has become hugely popular uh, at festivals like Vivid and elsewhere. Why does projection art fascinate people? Why does it captivate so much?
2: I think because it allows people to see... Spaces that are familiar to them in a completely new and dynamic and different way. Um, It also, especially at night, you know, where people might not traverse down some of the laneways and that kind of stuff at night. It makes it creates this sense of. I, for want of a better word of kind of like a, a safe space and that you can you know we 're lighting up alleyways and shop windows and buildings that would otherwise be dark at those times of night and creating that kind of fascination it also brings um, brings people together through through the medium, so you have a lot of different audiences within the community that come out to see the art from all different demographics and Um, really celebrate and talk and chat about the artwork, which is great.
1: Molly, as creative producer for the festival how conscious are you of the fact that it needs to be a festival for everyone it can't just be for people who can afford to go out to dinner at a high-end restaurant on Gertrude Mm. Street for example which is part of the demographic of the area you've also got the housing commission flats so in terms of making it a festival for everybody does that impact on the style of the works that are created and projected
3: absolutely absolutely there's I think something that um I can't take credit for but the festival. does really successfully is um, engage with a really diverse breadth of styles of projection and has done over the last 12 years as well as um, kind of different levels of of artists and then content as well. So we've got like insanely established artists exhibiting alongside um, kind of emerging first-time ever exhibiting artists, which um, in that sense I think it really that in itself um, engages a, a diverse spread of people. But, um, yeah, definitely when you're kind of curating a festival, you've got to be conscious of the fact that it's going to be viewed by everybody and you have to kind of have a different different kind of content that will be um, engaged by everybody. But in saying that, um, again, what this festival does really successfully is creating artistic experiences and moments in a public kind of context that isn't just spectacle and kind of, you know, what is that? Why is that? Oh, I wonder why. Ah, oh, and kind of just making people think about things differently. But you have to think about kids and old people and, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, And,
1: yeah, you, you don't want to dumb down the artwork so it's accessible for everybody but at the same time you want work that is accessible because it's in a public space. Yes.
3: Yeah, yeah. that's the sweet spot. You've got to get that. Public kind of consideration really, yeah, challenge them enough, but not shock them, but yeah. also not be super safe and boring because that's just boring
1: <laughs> now. Bianca, am I right in thinking that the festival essentially began because the Gertrude Street Traders Association were effectively going, no-one comes out in winter. Can, what can we do to to bring people into the street?
2: Yeah, so um, the Gertrude Traders uh, initially, and I, I I must say I wasn't part of the festival or the Traders Association or anything back then, um, they're essentially... Uh, Kim Ortenberg, who founded the, um, the festival, uh, along with um, some traders. One of one of them is still on our board. He's no longer a trader on the street, but he's still on our board. Uh, got together and kind of went, "Yep, yeah, what can we do at night during the fest? Uh, at night on Gertrude Street in the middle of winter, back when you know, 12 years ago, it wasn't as gentrified as it is now. There were still lots of you know very dark." Um, shop fronts that had nothing in them, that kind of thing. And I believe the first festivals, there was lots of um, l- pretty much let's put this DVD into a DVD player and play something on a screen or project it with quiet Um, what what is now seen as quite old analogue technology. Um, And then as the festival has evolved over the years and more traders have come on board, community supports come on board and then we've got, you know, a few corporate partnerships as as well to actually deliver bigger and better festivals, Um, we've been able to, yeah, really experiment with the art form, push the boundaries of the art form, and kind of provide that platform for some some artists who really want to experiment in a public space but can't f- don't have those avenues to do that, to actually be able to do it. It's
1: kind of fascinating to think in some ways that the Gertrude Street Projection Festival, um, uh, it predates Vivid in Sydney, it predates yeah. White Night in Melbourne, at which projections have become such a, a key point. It yeah. predates Dark Mofo, which uh, <laughs> has become the big winter tourist draw card for, for Hobart. It's really like Gertrude Street kind of uh, set the trend to a degree to say, if you put something on in winter that is stimulating and attractive and intriguing and which transforms something familiar into something new and exciting, Mm. people will come, regardless of whether it's pissing down with rain and five degrees, they will still come out and look at it. So, a bit of a trendsetter in that regard.
2: Oh, we like to think we are,
3: yes. We totally are.
1: (laughs) In terms of the the range of work and the range of artists who are participating this year, Molly, tell us about Mm. some of the key works.
3: Um, I'm so excited about this year and I guess I've got a bit of bias um but just a bit yeah (laughs) um so the whole festival is um kind of based around curated around the notion of um resistance and kind of through the social political environmental kind of ways of um thinking about that kind of thing so um there's we've got one particular work that is going to be on the Atherton Towers from Atonga Tem, um, which will be amazing. Um, so her work is called "Looking On," um, and that's kind of talking about um, that that gaze that you have um, as a person of colour and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of talking about um, empowerment um, of uh, kind of feminist empowerment and things like that. But there's an overarching kind of thing that I've noticed with the festival is this lovely little glimmer of, um, like, positivity in that kind of sense because I think that when you explore something like resistance, there can be a bit of... um, anger that can that can happen when when you're thinking about that in an artistic kind of way but it's completely unintentional that it's just become um yeah it's really positive and lovely and there's lots of um like feelings of solidarity yeah so i think i a tongs work and then there's another one um oh there's just so many i can't have favorites yeah that's that's okay how
1: about i throw some names at you yeah yeah so james henry for example the fact that he is kind of speaking to the history of fit and mm. the personalities of old Fitzroy mm. uh, by working with kind of the Parkies, for example, uh, uh, to to celebrate and honour mm. their part of Fitzroy.
3: Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, James's work's going to be fantastic. So he... Um, this this is a kind of an extension of a photography project that he's um, doing with part of the City of Yarra's Smith Street Dreaming um, event that's happening... I think it's on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Um, so he's kind of merging these photographs that he's developed as part of that um and merging them evolving them into a projection um that will kind of yeah be large scale and kind of telling the story of those guys in a little bit more of a dynamic kind of way um it's going to be pretty special that one
1: now i've also been a fan of the artist tom civil for about almost 20 years i think when i first encountered kind of civil's work
3: Yeah, Tom's great. Um, So Tom uh, has been commissioned by the Australian Print Workshop. Um, He has collaborated with some animators to um, create a work called Sway and it's kind of talking about rebirth um, and through lots of kind of different things. But his kind of – he's done these beautiful – drawings like watercolour kind of sketches that have been stop-motion animated and it's just this lovely kind of gentle kind of journey that you're when you're watching this um yeah it'll be in the um, print workshop window yeah
1: and Yandel Walton has been involved with the festival for quite a long time
3: yeah she's an OG
2: (laughs) she's um she she actually helped uh, she mentored James to cre- to create his work over the last couple of weeks because he's only really dealt with still works before so was uh, they spent a lot of time together creating his piece or mm. she was teaching him um, kind of you know moving beyond a still based lens to to projection mm. but she's also worked with um, young young activists um, through city of melbourne signal program over the school holidays to uh to film a piece which will be larger than life with all these kids kind of you know um very impassioned about you know what's happening in the world and the fact that they don't have a voice and they need to have that voice
3: Mm. yeah so that the youth climate change kind of movement yeah yeah
1: Now, the Gertrude Street Projection Festival is what we're talking about. It's running from the 26th of July until the 3rd of August, and you can find out more details about the program and the participating artists and all the various sites at www.gspf.com.au. One of the things that I delight in with the festival every year is seeing the the, the groups of people moving along the street, the families kind of... uh, people discovering the area perhaps for the first time or seeing buildings they know transformed and changing and coming to life because of the moving projections on them and i also enjoy kind of Discovering random small projections in unexpected locations, whether it's in a kind of in a laneway that I might normally cut through during the day, but not at night, or mm. and seeing what it does to the to the landscape, what it does to the kind of my memories of Fitzroy as well, how it brings old memories to life and transforms the current environment is one of one of the things that's fascinating about the festival. But it's not just projections on buildings, is it? I believe this year there are kind of projections on living people.
3: Yes, yeah, the Skate Odyssey um, guys, they're going to be roving around um, which um, up and down the street with these kind of sails on their back um, and their work's called Disruption. And so what they'll be doing is kind of skating in and around in front of um, projections that will kind of be disrupting the um, – the projection onto certain surfaces so it's sort of challenging your viewing experience of what would probably be already a quite a challenging work as well yeah Yeah. um i'm excited about those guys so they'll be um they won't be every night so they're just roving around on opening night and on closing night
1: and, Bianca, to wrap up, do you want to tell us a little bit about what else is happening on the opening nights and the closing nights of this year's Gertrude Street Projection Festival?
2: Yes, well, we welcome everybody to come and join with us uh, for a celebration at 6pm at Foresters on the corner of Langridge and Smith Streets, where we'll be officially opening the, um, the festival. Then uh, we'll have live crumping uh, from 7th... 30 to 9.30, um, which will be in the Turnleys Undercroft at the other end of Gertrude Street. We've also got our immersive space or our project space uh, during the festival at 44 Little Napier Street. will be open every night of the festival, but uh, make sure you head there for the opening night as well where we'll have um, some uh, a VR artwork, a gaming artwork and another um, uh, interactive art piece Uh, Charcoal Lane are putting on a sausage sizzle for Mission Australia. So if you're there with kids at 6 o'clock and you need something to eat, make sure you head there for a quick
3: sausage. And it's really yummy (laughs) Charcoal Lane vibes. If you guys don't know Charcoal Lane, it's all uh, native kind of um, Australian flora food. So they've got like lamb and rosemary and, yeah, it's gourmet.
2: (laughs) But Uh cheap. Uh, The roller skaters, have I missed anything, friends? No, I think
3: that that's opening night. Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be a hoot.
1: (laughs) And then closing with a block party on Saturday the 3rd of August. Uh, So from 5 to 10pm, taking over the – well, not taking over, but sharing – the Atherton Gardens housing estate With kind of bands and music and, and activities yeah. there as well
2: and that will be really exciting Because the uh, young producers We've actually been working with a group of young producers From Yarra yeah, Youth Services Who many of them uh, live within Or have lived within the, the, the housing estate And they're, um, they're producing that block party mm. Under kind of, you know, our mentorship and guidance
1: So there'll be uh, rap, reggae, fashion, dance crews, DJs And yeah. more as part of that closing night And projections note. And projections <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a Gertrude Street Projection Festival without some projections. So the festival, as you, I said, is running from the 26th of July until the 3rd of August, uh, from 6pm till midnight every night. Uh, and uh, details at www.gspf.com.au. Gertrude Street Projection Festival. Looking forward to it taking over the neighbourhood once again. I've been chatting with Bianca Bowman and Molly Braddon. Thank you both for coming in.
3: Thanks. Thanks.
1: R. R. I'm joined in the studio by Jonathan Holloway, the Artistic Director of the Melbourne International Arts Festival, which is running this year from the 2nd to the 20th of October. It's Jonathan's fourth and final festival. Jonathan, welcome.
0: Good morning, Richard. How do
1: you approach a festival like this, knowing that it's your last chance to make an impact on Melbourne? Do you pull out all the stops and go as big as possible as you did uh, with your final Perth Festival and the Giants? Or do you go, I want to present something that is more me, perhaps? Something more personal and thoughtful?
0: I think it's the third thing. First of all, I, 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 I have tended to approach every festival like it's my final festival, e- even if I know it's it might not be, because you never quite now and um, and very early on I decided I wasn't going to sort of go now I'll keep all the I'll keep good bits for the future just anything I can get in that works and fits but actually I start with Neither of those, th- those things. I start with I start with what's important uh, to the city and, and the audiences and the place and the time. And so my first festival here very much felt like I wanted to discuss um, what makes Melbourne work. How does the city? What's the what are the politics of it? How does it civic society work? Uh, the second, which was obviously at the beginning of a time of political turmoil but i thought it might be just a blip in the world um as i think we all did uh, was uh, was very much about um about what is possible when people do their best work their biggest work their most ambitious work the third one was about community coming together so fire and g- gathering and telling so this one's about truth this one is i have uh, personally I've, I've watched so many Uh, Moments of people telling absolute truth to power in the past year, and everyone's saying this time it will be different. This time it wasn't so different, actually. Um, And I think it's given license to more people to tell their truths, but I don't actually think enough has changed. So I really wanted a festival that tried to I mean, it sounds really, it sounds either lofty or simple, but just remind us that truth is truth. It's not fake news, even though it's theatre. I mean, even though it is fake, it's real.
1: Well, an interesting way to then approach that is by programming a mentalist, somebody who uh, looks like he is reading your mind, but he's not. He's reading your body language and your cues. So you're exploring truth. By presenting illusion
0: you, you are but but also uh, because when someone asks you a really direct question and you know that they are they are watching you uh, your truthfulness is is quite intense and, and actually i, I, mean, I yes the, the flip side of truth is of course is, is fiction um uh, my, my sense is that is that, is that tr- truth is stronger than fiction but it's interesting that um, uh, i mean uh, the central truth of all of it, it, it none of it works if people aren't honest uh, art or life really Um, And and not all the time, I mean, (laughs) obviously, but it's, um, yeah, that's the the sort of, that might be one of the glorious exceptions in the programme that proves the the rule of the rest. It feels
1: quite an intimate programme.
0: I hope that I mean the moments of intimacy in terms of um I think there's a lot of direct address. I mean I look at something like Anthem uh, which is obviously the the uh, the second work by those five extraordinary artists uh Melissa Reeves, Patricia Cornelius, Andrew Boel, um Irene Vela and uh Christos Chalkis and uh, actually this uh, all five of them have an intimacy in their work even though it's very inclusive um so I, I think there's a lot of personal stories in there there's a lot of um discussion of who who the individuals are who are in front of us and i like that i'm
1: really intrigued to see anthem because the the work that those artists made what 20 20 years 20 yeah. years ago exactly 20 years yeah ago. Yep. who's afraid of the working class was this kind of Pivotal, radical, incisive piece of theatre that cut to the heart of what Melbourne was at the time. Are you expecting this new work, Anthem, to do the same? Have you been along to a showing of it, for example? I've you-
0: I've, I've seen bits and I've also read bits, and yes. I mean, it's interesting because all five of them have have kind of I mean, I don't know, I wasn't here 20 years ago, but I'm guessing that they were not the household names then that they are now. I'm guessing that they they were they were on their way up and fabulous. But at the moment, I mean, all five of them are at the absolute top of their game. And so you... But, the, but they've lost none of that um, insightfulness or, or hunger or desire for truth. So, yes, absolutely. It's, again, it's... it's that it's not a it's not a piece of work of sweeping statements. It's a piece of work of individual vignettes out of which we, as an audience, take the world. And, and that's that's their collective and individual genius is is the ability to make us um, just hear a story in front of us and go, "Wow, yeah, that's it. That's absolutely it."
1: Now, in terms of the range of works that the festival is presenting, let's talk about the dance program for a moment, which is feels like a really central part of the program this year. And Melbourne is very much uh, the contemporary dance capital of the country, there, which is not to say there is not fantastic dance work being made in Launceston, in Townsville, in Sydney or elsewhere, but contemporary dance culture in Melbourne is very, very vital and alive. Uh, and as part of that, you've programmed encore seasons of Mm. works that were perhaps only on for very short seasons to give more people a a chance to see them. There
0: there are three reasons I've done that, actually. Uh, One is to give people more chance. Um, In the case of uh, one of the works, it's because I missed it. I was away, and I know that sounds terrible, but I I didn't see it, and actually a lot of people are the same with those works, and everybody told me that I should A, see it, and B, programme it. That's Joe Lloyd's work, um, which... uh, The the three works that that have encore seasons, so Lucy Guerin with Splits, Stephanie Lake with Colossus and, and Joe Lloyd with Overture. Um, uh, almost everybody I speak to uh, will take one of those three as being one of their favourite dance pieces of the time I've been in Melbourne. Uh, but the other reason is is part of the job of a festival director is to go out into the world and champion the place they've been or they are. So I go around and I tell people they've simply got to book this work because it is absolutely of, about, from Melbourne, and it's some of the best in the world. And I want to see that alongside Yang Li Ping. I want to see that alongside Hofesh Schechter because it, I want to see it alongside Chunky Move with a new work because uh, it all completely... Adds up, scale—not uh, scale-wise, but yes, scale-wise, and also um, quality-wise. But it makes it easier to then be able to do that if we can invite a load of festival directors from around the world to Melbourne, and so you can see all three of them in one week. Um, and it's what I mean. I mean, uh, the fact that these works happened across uh, a combination of Fringe and Dance Massive is because actually those um, those platforms for making new work and then getting it into the world, are there in Melbourne. But I think this is a great moment to be able to c- celebrate that. And...
1: So of those works, I'm delighted that you've programmed Split, Colossus and Overture, because I saw Split and adored Adorted, uh, mm-hmm. which is um, a, a duo... Uh, squeezed into increasingly tighter and tighter space. Uh, I missed Colossus at Fringe. Uh, I think I was at Brisbane Festival possibly when it was on and I heard amazing things about Stephanie Lake putting 50 dancers yep. on the stage of the Fairfax studio at Arts Centre Melbourne. I was like, that's not a big stage. How do you how do you put 50... Mm. And then the video imagery and, and what I saw of it and everybody raved, so thank you. I get to, to see the encore season uh, and... Uh, Joe Lloyd is a, a choreographer and dance artist whose work I adore and I also missed Overture, so thank you. I, I feel like you're putting on some treats just for me, Jonathan.
0: Excellent. I know you're not. But... No, 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 I am. No, I'm not why I've done this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, um, uh, let's talk about Rite of Spring, which is one of the other dance works that you've programmed in in the festival because I think in some ways, given some of your recent programming with um, Taylor Mac, for example, or last year with Fire Gardens. When the program, before the program came out, people may have been expecting a show of that ilk, something vast and huge and powerful and unforgettable. Uh, Is Rite of Spring that work?
0: Um, Righteous Swing might be that work for some people. Um, I would say Anthem will be that work for other people. Um, The Spiegel tent will be that physical experience for some people, although we've all seen Spiegel tents before. It's interesting. I've always tried to avoid the bigger, better, louder um, uh, argument, partly because I think Acrobat summed it up uh, better than anyone in the world. And, I've, uh, and even before I'd, 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 I'd met them or come to Australia, the, the, the idea of a show called Smaller, Poorer, Cheaper uh, had, has been one of, one of the things I've carried with me artistically forever because I, I love that idea that we have to break the tyranny of, um, well, the, the, the seven words we all fear uh, the most as programmers, which is how are you going to top that? And um, so, no, I, I, actually, I, I didn't feel that this is the moment and and uh, for another thing of that, but yes, uh, Yang Li Ping and Righteous Spring is huge and beautiful. Anyone who saw Under Siege two years ago will know that her work is exquisite. And uh, the design is by Tim Yip, who designed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the movie, and it's it is epic. It's it's got the uh, the idea that she's got three parts to it: a first and final part which take from Chinese and Tibetan traditional music, but that central part is uh, based almost entirely on the Stravinsky score, which is again one of the great dance um, pieces of music of all time. It's huge as a work and it's beautiful. Uh, it's still intimate. It's, it, you're right. It's intimate, and, and the reason I think it's intimate is is because hopefully most people who open the programme will have the same reaction that you have, which is, I, th- I hope that bit was done for me. That's, I'd rather that than uh, 100,000 people go, this is a generally nice festival. I'd rather individual people go, yes, about just a thing, preferably about ten things, um, obviously, because otherwise ticket sales would be disastrous. But uh, if, if, if individuals go, yeah, that's, that's the one, I'm, I'm rabidly excited about that one, that piece. I think that's better than people saying, oh, it's generally quite nice. Well done.
1: (laughs) Now, we mentioned uh, uh, earlier the the fact that you've programmed um, a mentalist, so uh, a mind reader. Uh, And let's talk about uh, kind of his work in a little bit more detail. So Scott Sylvan is the yep. artist. He's doing two works in the festival. One is a more traditional kind of uh, m- magic show, if you like. Yes. Uh, at the Spiegel Tent on the Forecourt of Arts Centre Melbourne. Yeah. But the other is a dinner party.
0: Yes. This is this is my uh, my uh, the fact that I, I'm unlikely unlikely to ever do anything that doesn't have an intimate moment in it in terms of, uh, of also almost one-on-one work. This is 24 audience members per show it, uh, sitting around a large table. Uh, there's a three-course, beautiful three-course dinner served with matching wines and matching whiskey. So it's, it's, it's the highest end of, of uh, dining and dinner party and in it, and in it with with candles and, and atmospheric lighting and and at one end of the table uh, between courses and sometimes during is Scott Sylvan who is telling you his story of, of being a child in Scotland in the mountains whilst the food and the smells and everything just permeates the room and then he goes on to a series of mind-reading tricks and he just begins to ask people questions and what happens is the audience it's not audience participation that in a horrifying way, it's it's just questions it's just dinner party conversation except that he just begins to make predictions and begins to get things out of people and begins to reveal the word that you're thinking Uh, uh, it's a series of of moments that are utterly astonishing And, and the audience it's that wonderful thing where the audience by the end is a community i mean we, we all just basically went to the bar together the 23 people and myself just went to the bar and, how on earth did he do that so i i was uh, i was then uh, tasked with going away and uh, trying to book the show so i could see the rider see if there was a microphone or a hidden camera or something because i genuinely couldn't believe there wasn't a trick and there wasn't a trick it's just that beautiful it's so good
1: If you've just tuned in, my guest is Jonathan Holloway, the Artistic Director of Melbourne International Arts Festival. The program was launched earlier this week. It's Jonathan's fourth and final festival. Uh... When you were appointed, uh, much was made of the fact that you had an open-ended contract. Uh, Unlike most artistic directors in the country, we were told that you would not just have three years or four years, that you were being offered an open-ended contract so you could commission more work into the future and make more of your time here. Why leave after four years?
0: I've had a fabulous time in both Melbourne and in Australia. I realised a year ago that... um, my children were at a, a certain moment, so they're, they're now 11 and 13. Uh, then they were obviously 10 and 12 for those doing maths at home. And uh, it, I, I realised that eight years away from grandparents is a long time for them and for grandparents, all of whom were wonderfully understanding, um, but, but becoming a tiny bit less so. I mean, just that little... just just the, the occasional comment. And it felt right. It felt like the right moment. I, I was... Um, I've been deeply proud of the festivals I've been able to put together in Melbourne and I'm also aware that I think the Melbourne Festival has to and is now going through a huge change because it, it is a festival, I, th- I think it's it's one of the most complex festivals in the world to run. Uh, I, I have said before that um, I, I've adored the other places but Norwich was like a, a computer game set to easy whereby uh, you can't I mean you can't die and you have to survive but uh, you, you go through it and you discover things. Perth is, is set at um, uh, expert, le- uh, expert level whereby um, uh, actually you ha- they've seen a lot you really have to do it well and and, and Melbourne is set at extreme level whereby one slip up uh, and everybody will turn and I knew that and that's, that's what's actually exciting about being in a city that is so um, critical in the best possible way of uh, use of the word and so I came here because I wanted to go through, I, I wanted to take the festival through a journey. I'm proud of having done that, and it's ready for the next moment. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the future of the festival beyond this year. I, I think uh, if anyone can steer extraordinary waters, it, it's Hannah and Gideon, and they know this city and they know the arts so well. It was the right moment. And also, actually, outstaying your welcome is not a brilliant thing to do, even if answering questions for a very long time is uh, for me uh, i uh it, w- it was right and i think it was probably about three months after taylor Mac, and i was thinking actually i think that m- i think that might be one of the two or three most important things i ever am involved in in my life i mean i think things that genuinely genuinely matter um and so i thought maybe now's the time to take a leap yeah
1: in terms of uh, the Melbourne International Arts Festival, there are certain events that have now become festival traditions. You, uh, we have the Melbourne Art Trams, for example, which kind of uh, picked up a tradition from the 80s, I believe. And
0: so in late 70s. Late 70s. So but this year we're celebrating uh, Leslie Dumbrell's uh, 1986 tram, which was obviously the, the, uh, one of the trams from the first year of the Spoleto uh, Festival of Three Worlds, as it was then.
1: And also another tradition that uh, your predecessor, Josephine Ridge, kind of brought back after... Something like 180 years that it had not happened. Tandarum, which is yeah. the gathering of the the clans of the Kulin Nation, which begins the festival. It's yeah. such a significant way to celebrate history, locality, uh, First Nations people and a, coming toge- a literal coming together of tribes, which is what a festival is.
0: Yes, and, it's, and so it's the, the, the five language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nation. Um, and Tandarum is, is, is that moment where, uh, actually for me the, the most exciting bit is that for six months before that, uh, separately and then together, they're working on what we will see. But actually, the most of what we see is below the surface. Ninety percent of it is 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 not witnessed and not observed, and that's about language and it's about culture and it's about law and it's about the fact that there's a generation of very young people from those communities who now speak some language who didn't when they started um, and who have a pride and a love. And when you speak to uh, Auntie Di or Auntie Carolyn about this, uh, there's 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 a love of that project that Josephine uh, I mean, Josephine went to the, to the, to the elders of the five, uh, five language groups and basically said if you were to be involved in the festival what would it be? And they said it would be a tandem and she said great and that's fabulous that is exactly where a festival should start with the first words being spoken by the first peoples and that's, it's perfect it's beautiful
1: There is so much more in your festival program for 2019 that I want to talk about, but we can't sit here for three hours. But just quickly, I'm going to throw some names at you and and just give give us a response. So uh, Team Lab.
0: Team Lab, uh, again, uh, some artists who I've I've wanted to bring to Australia uh, for eight years and, and um, I didn't think I would be able to and then Jan from Talano, Jan mentioned from Talano Galleries gives me a call and says I have the possibility, I've been wooing them there's the possibility they'll come in the festival, what do you think and I'm, I would love that, I adore their work, it's the projection, the immersion, the, uh, I think they're some of the most technically and artistically brilliant people on the planet. Neat and Sawney Beyond Skin was, uh, w- along with Talvin Singh's Sounds of the Asian Underground, was was one of the records that changed my life in terms of an understanding of both uh, an Indian diaspora uh, or Indian Pakistani diaspora music uh, linked with dance music and with, with a Western tradition. I adore in Sony, and it's, it's 20 years since he brought that album out, so couldn't resist it. The
1: Nico Project.
0: Very, very close to my heart. Just opened in Manchester. It's uh, Nico' 1967 album with Velvet Underground, and then the next year her Marble Index project, which was is, is again. Cl- hailed by many people as one of the great albums this, uh, and I adore Maxine Peake who I, I worked with on the very final thing I ever directed on stage at the National Theatre, she is a genius uh, it's complex difficult, chewy, non-narrative based theatre that I probably wouldn't take to any other city in Australia but Melbourne will absolutely adore it and it's, and it's a co-commission with Manchester International Festival so it's the second time it's being seen in the world
1: Over your previous three festivals, I've had transcendent moments, which I will never forget. The Echo of the Shadow, Taylor Mac, Fire Gardens, so much more. Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this show regularly, and I've very much enjoyed your your festival programming. I'm looking forward to kind of throwing myself headfirst into your final festival for 2019. Thanks, Richard. Uh, The Melbourne International Arts Festival runs from the second to the twentieth of October. Full program details at www.festival.melbourne. I recommend booking because uh, some of these shows will definitely sell out. Triple R. Now, written circa 1598, 1599, mid-career, Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing has been described as the, the kind of original... From Love to Hate Romantic Comedy. Uh, that's uh, the words of its director, James Evans, the associate director at Bell Shakespeare, who joins us on the line now. James, a very good morning to you.
4: Good morning, Richard. Thank you. So,
1: for people who haven't seen uh, Much Ado yes. About Noting, uh, as it may yes. have been descri- <laughs> uh, pronounced at the time, Much Ado About sure. Nothing, as we call it today, kind of mm. apart from being the, the, this kind of early version of a romantic comedy. What What yeah. is the play exploring?
4: Yeah, well, it's also exploring the bad behaviour of packs of boys, and um that's what we are really finding that it, it's it's speaking to us today about Don Pedro and Claudio and Benedict, and the way that they speak about girls and women and the way that they behave and and the way that they seem to be able to get away with things with very little consequence so really it it looks like it's exploring the relationship between men and women. Um, Shakespeare takes a very old uh, story about you know a young man. Um, shaming a woman and um, and and rejecting her on false grounds, and he kind of overlays this romantic comedy over the top of it. So it's a very, in, in some ways, a very uncomfortable play. It's a comedy and a tragedy all at the same time, but hopefully satisfying in the end.
1: That notion of of shaming, public shaming, mm. uh, in particular, is something of a of a thread running through the play.
4: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's there, there, there's a lot of um, Uh, there's a lot of first of all people overhearing other people people in disguise and not being who they are but really that central moment in the play when Claudio uh, decides basically to take the word of someone he knows is quote-unquote a villain instead of actually sitting down and talking to his fiancee and trying to figure out what's going on Um, I think that's the the central moment of the play And, and it's so public it's absolutely awful.
1: Now, the in terms of taking a play uh, that, as I said, was was written uh, in around 1599, and yeah. making it uh, resonate with a contemporary world, uh, to yeah. what extent do you do you ever feel as if you're? Um, highlighting aspects of the play that Shakespeare himself may not have attended in order to make uh, a play relevant to this notion of, of boys behaving badly in a contemporary sense, for example, or do you think yeah. that that is intrinsically a part of the play that, as Shakespeare intended?
4: Look, it's really hard to say what he intended, but it seems to me that all those versions of the play are actually in there. So there is a version of the play that you could do where Cordio is completely redeemed and everyone lives happily ever after, but there's also a version of the play in there and not changing any of the words or any of the text where, in fact, it's a much more uncomfortable and ambiguous ending. For example, um, at the end of the play... Um, you don't actually see the wedding they don't actually get married they just talk about getting married and so you know there's something in something to explore in that in the fact that it's not quite a done deal yet and there's still a little bit more um, discussion that needs to happen before Claudio can actually be redeemed and and get married.
1: It's also a play that perhaps is conscious of its own theatricality as well is that fair to say?
4: yeah very much so and there's there 's lots of acting going on within the play there's lots of uh, yeah people performing various roles, people pretending to be other people. Um, so, I guess you could say it's meta, but Shakespeare loved being meta, didn't he? He loved being meta-theatrical, and he loved referencing the theatre and acting and playing and pretending, um, and that's part of the fun of it, I think.
1: He also uh, loved uh, a bit of a bawdy pun, and I'm yes. led to believe that the title of the play itself is uh, the uh, Much Ado About Nothing, uh, that yes. nothing is in itself a double entendre that perhaps no longer really kind of lands the way it would have landed in his day.
4: Yeah, that's right. Look, I think it, it was uh, it was probably kind of Elizabethan street slang and, and a misogynistic term for, um, you know, nothing, as in, you know, the man has a thing and the woman has nothing uh, it, between their legs. And, uh, you know, that, that would have been something that people probably snickered about <laughs> back then, but uh, that doesn't really resonate for us today. I don't think uh, anyone would really um, see it that way.
1: <laughs> Some of Shakespeare's jokes do rely on... Uh people being aware of the double meaning of a word for example and as our pronunciations of of words have changed since Shakespeare's day what would have kind of provoked uproarious laughter is they no longer land as (laughs) jokes how do you take that into account as a director are you asking uh, is that something you just have to kind of accept and move on and find something else to explore
4: yeah that's really tricky, especially with Shakespeare's comedies, where some of them some of the bits are just not funny anymore. I mean i got to be frank, you know some some of the some of the language which might have um, been hilarious uh, to us can be completely obscure. and I think that's that's okay, and it's okay also to trim and to cut so so with this production, um I would say about twenty percent of the text has been cut, uh, and uh, quite a bit of that is kind of obscure gags and jokes and but hopefully what we've left in is a lean story but also a lot of the comedy um is still in there as well but you're absolutely right some of the words you know like you mentioned noting you know perhaps that would have been meant you know overhearing uh also it could have been knotting which was you know getting together and and um you know getting married or sleeping together so so definitely those kinds of puns are gone um but hopefully other comedy can arise from it as well
1: I'm speaking with James Evans, who's directing Belle Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing, which uh, is opening at Art Centre Melbourne tonight and running through until the 27th of July and then uh, going on a national tour. Now, uh, luckily, James, I know you've already had the chance to kind of uh, break in the play in front of an audience, not just with last night's preview, but uh, you did two shows uh, in Orange, I think it was.
4: Yeah. Yeah that's right the theater out in orange they're very generous to us and and so we love opening our shows there and previewing them and uh, and testing them out and then and then the team is going to go to another 25 venues around the country it's a massive tour and so, hopefully, they'll become like a nice little family, <laughs> and, uh, and all, uh, and have a happy tour. But um, uh, it, it's tricky, and people away from their families and, and uh, away from home for such a long time. But, but hopefully, they have a good experience.
1: Yeah, touring can be quite challenging and rigorous. I, I uh, heard the uh, it described a couple of years ago. Uh, somebody pointed out that uh, FIFO workers, kind of in the mines in WA, sometimes get better yeah. emotional and psychological support than touring mm-hmm. actors for example mm. uh, certainly yeah, right. the, the yeah. industry at the moment has become much more mm. aware of the need to support uh, actors yeah. and and crew on the road as well what kind of conversations yeah. do you have with with the cast when they're about to go on the road to places like uh, Warrnambool, Mandara, mm. Burnie, Toowoomba, Dubbo, yeah. Tamworth and more?
4: Well yeah I think uh, it, it's tricky but the good thing is now we have a um, tour psychologist who is on hand and so she did a session with them about um, uh, good mental health on the road um, how to um, make sure that you're still connected with your family and friends back home um, how to how to reach out how to ask for help and, and also how to de-roll and some of the some of the themes in our show are, are, are quite um, tricky hurtful emotional and uh, and just that idea of the actor needing to have uh, a toolbox and some strategies on how to get out of the role, shake it off at the end of the night and and be able to go home and and just relax. So we do have a, a psychologist now on hand and employee assistance program, I guess you would, um, they call it now, uh, where, um, uh, yeah, there is that support. And also, of course, Bell Shakespeare Company Management is, uh, you know, uh, they are absolutely terrific and, and always there to help and always at the end of the phone, ready, to, ready, for a, ready for a chat.
1: That notion of de-rolling is something that I've just been reading about this week, actually. The Arts Wellbeing Collective have published a great mm. guide to steps That's to right. kind of de-roll yeah. and, and come back in tune with yourself. But one of the other mm. challenges, I would imagine, for a show on the road is as director you're not there all the time you might kind of check in occasionally so you have to to a degree I trust your actors to remember the notes you've given them at what point does the show stop being your show and become something that that morphs and grows into something that you had perhaps not intended and and do you have to then jump back in i don't know halfway through the tour and go remember what i told you about not overplaying this
4: Oh, what a great question. Yeah, look, you have to give the actors some leeway to make the show their own. But but at the same time, you want it to stay within the kind of parameters that um, that we've worked out. So, and that's why the reason, that that's the reason why the way I work is very collaborative. And so the actors, by the time they get out on the road, are actually really comfortable and confident in the show that they've made because they own it. I think it's much harder when there's quite a, you know, when there's an auteur director who's sitting there and telling you, do this, do that, do exactly as I say. Um, that makes things a little bit harder on a tour, um, but I think in this process um, they've all been very much a, a part of making this show. So I think they all have ownership over it and and want to keep it the way that we uh, that we that we built it.
1: Bell Shakespeare's production of Much Ado About Nothing is opening at Arts Centre Melbourne tonight and running through until the 27th of July. And then, as you've heard, it's going on a massive tour, uh, uh, including to Araluen, Darwin, Lismore, Newcastle, Dubbo, Canberra, and ending the tour uh, in Sydney at the Sydney Opera House. Full details about the performances here in Melbourne and uh, perhaps at a theatre near you at bellshakespeare.com.au. Uh, it's a, a razor-sharp battle of wits and a saucy comedy, but also an exploration of uh, identity in a, for women in a male-dominated world. James Evans, thank you so much for joining us and Chookers for the season. Thank you so
4: much for the chat, Richard. Appreciate it. Thank you.